Hi, welcome to Leadership with Randy. I'm Randy Powell. Today you're listening to Lessons on Leadership, our weekly conversation with inspiring people sharing some of the stories and lessons from their journey. And what I told her is something that I've been saying for the last few years, that being called a coach and a trainer and a speaker is just a title. What we do is to make a difference in people's lives. We inspire them and we empower them to live a rich life. And I told her that's what makes me happy. So you got to ask uh, how, how much impact can I, can I make instead of how much is it going to cost me? This week, we're following along another inspiring entrepreneurial journey and the pursuit of the American dream as we talk with Isaac Wambua, the founder of Dynamo Methods. Isaac grew up in a poor village in Kenya where teachers and a principal helped him by sharing food. But even more importantly, they encouraged Isaac to dream about all he could be and to make his way to the United States, where he now shares the lessons from his journey as a speaker and leadership coach for other entrepreneurs and business leaders. Learn more about Isaac's work at dynamomethods.com. Now let's go learn more from Isaac. All right. Good morning. It's great to be together again and excited to spend time with, with Isaac Wambua, who has an incredible story that uh, spans the ocean and to another continent where his journey began. And he's just got this awesome story of resilience and of following a dream. And he inspired me. And I know other folks are going to be inspired to hear about Isaac's journey and how he has uh, uh, been determined and made his way here and has become an entrepreneur. And it's the, the fuel of entrepreneurial dreams, the things that Isaac uh, shares with folks and he continues to share with folks in his uh, coaching and leadership training. So Isaac, why don't you, uh, start back and tell us a little bit about those uh, those early beginnings and the challenges and how you worked your way through those challenges and what all's brought you to where you are today. Yeah, thank you. Thank you, Randy. Good to see all of you. And uh, it's good to see familiar faces, uh, Steve and Mike, and I think uh, um, Harry's here. I think Elizabeth is a longtime friend of mine. So great to see all of you. And Randy, thank you for the opportunity to just to share some ideas with you guys. Uh, according to Randy, my story is interesting, but it's not um, more interesting than each, each of your stories because we all have a journey that we've gone through. And uh, just having the privilege to share some, some ideas with you and part of my story is really a huge thing for me. So my name is Haiza Komboa, and uh, I think Mike Meyer knows more about my story than anyone else here. Uh, Wambua is a, is a name from Africa, and uh, I like to say that my parents didn't think much before I was born. Um, it's a name that you are given when it's raining outside. So I tend to believe that I was born, then they looked outside and it was raining, and they said, we're just going to call him Wambua. So that's how it went down. Um, but really, being here, is, it's a great thing. So I'm going to share with you some ideas um, on how to go after your dreams, how to nurture them, how to maintain the pace, whichever pace that you pick, uh, just based on what I've been able to do. I believe that I'm one of the luckiest people in the world. I'm a man of faith, so I'm very blessed. Um, Many times I ask myself, how did I get here? Uh, Being part of a huge network, valuable network, having a good career, having several transitions in my career as well. And it's like, you know, life just surprises me a lot of times. Uh, and I believe that's just a blessing that God has bestowed upon me. So today I want to talk to you about how to cultivate your dream and how to nurture that dream throughout, uh, throughout your life. So just as most of you, probably all of you know that life is full of transitions. And from every aspect of life, think about when a child is born. And I can talk about this because my wife and I, we have a daughter who is almost two years old. So I've been watching her as she has been growing. So the transition, uh, the kid is born and then they start rolling on the bed, on the floor, then they start crawling. From there they stand and then they start walking, they start running. And as a parent, you realize you have to be uh, physically fit to run after those kids. So um, those are transitions that we go through. In business, when you start a business, you come up with an idea, that's the ideation stage, you launch the business, you scale the business, you get it to the impact and then significance. Those are major transitions. Sales is the same thing. You prospect, you present, you close, and there are so many other things in between. 
So when it comes to my own life, I've watched those transitions. And what I've come to learn is that I need to acknowledge those transitions and also celebrate them. I was lucky enough to be to have to grow up in an environment that was not very good at that point, uh, based on, on my perspective at that, that point of my life. I was, um, I was born in Kenya, I grew up in Kenya. And when I was nine years old, my dad left. So my dad used to work for the government. He had a lot of money and life was good. Uh, one of my best memories is my dad waking up in the morning and uh, making us breakfast. And, um, you know, when I was nine years old, something happened between him and my mom and, and we got kicked out of the city and we were sent to the village. So something interesting that I came to learn is that at that point in Africa, marriage was not uh, put on paper. So you meet a girl and you say, I love you. She says, I love you back and you get married and there's no paperwork. So when my dad and my mom separated, my mother did not get anything. So all seven kids, I have four brothers and two sisters, we were sent to the village and we didn't have enough food to eat. My mother doesn't know how to read or write, so she couldn't get a professional job and she had to work in people's farms to take care of us. And that was the first time that I, it dawned on me that um, I was in for a kind of a ride, a very interesting ride. Uh, my dad lived in the city with my stepmother, a very beautiful, wonderful woman. Um, fast forward, when I was in fifth grade, living in that dark environment, my mother sat me down and she said, uh, you know, I know for sure that the key to success is education. If you can do well in school, you are likely to succeed. And she said, but you play too much. Um, if you can focus in school, and I know you're good with books, you might be the person who is going to save us from this environment. Now, I was very young, but I got the message. And looking back, that was a huge responsibility for a young boy, having that burden of having to do well in school so I can save my family. My brother, David, was good in, in school as well. Uh, so I got that message from my mother and I stuck in school. I did well, but it wasn't until sixth grade that I met a teacher called Mr. Nathan who instilled some kind of wisdom in me. And he said, Isaac, you're good with the books and I'm going to teach you how to speak English very well, how to communicate because that's going to open a lot of doors for you. My dream was to get out of that that environment. That was the first part of my dream, just to get out of that dark environment and go somewhere else, at least a place where I could have maybe three meals a day. So this particular teacher taught me how to speak English. Uh, he gave me books and he taught me how to read. And then when I got to seventh grade, we had a new principal who told me, I know you come, you come from a poor family and I know sometimes you don't have food to eat. Uh, so I'm going to be sharing my lunch with you every lunch hour. Come to my office I'm going to split my lunch with you. That's the first time I felt someone cared about me. Um, then I did well, went to high school, um, did well in school, went to college, I became an engineer. So that's just fast forwarding. Several transitions right there, uh, meeting a teacher who cared about me, um, then getting done with the primary school, going to high school, going to college, and I felt things will be good for me. And then um, I got a job with a telecommunications company as big as Sprint really, uh, former Sprint, now it's T-Mobile. Um, I, I was making good money, but I was broke pretty much every single day because all the money was going towards taking care of my mother and my brothers. And that's when I decided to move to the United States so I can look for more opportunities. So the first part of you being able to nurture your dream, and you're going to hear bits and pieces of this as we talk about a little bit of my story, is to have a dream. You really have to have that dream. And it doesn't matter how big or small it is. I believe every dream is big. A kid who is dreaming uh, to, to get into, to become a pro in sports, that's a big dream for them. A kid who, is, who just wants to get in front of people and recite a Bible verse, that's a dream. A business owner who wants to scale their business so they can impact as many people as possible, that's a dream. You got to have that dream. And I believe that a dream is given to you, only you alone and not no one else. And you're, coming to, you're going to realize that when you have a dream, most of the times people don't understand it. And that's okay for them not to understand. Sometimes we try so hard to try to get people to buy into our dream, but it's not their dream. And the reason I know this is because, um, you know, growing up with my brothers, I have four of them. I remember telling my older brother that one day, 
I'm going to, to, to have a car and I'm going to drive a car. And he said, no, you're not going to be able to do that because we are very poor. But because there was a little dream that was put in me, um, every day, every evening, actually, when we get off school, I'll get on top of a tree. There was a tree right outside our, uh, our house. And I'll get on top of the tree and I will act as if I'm driving a car. Now, I cannot take credit for that. I don't know what I was doing. I just knew that I was picturing myself driving a car. And I remember telling this story to a friend of mine, uh, Scott Havens, that all of you know. And he said, that's incredible. I didn't think that's a good story. And that's why I tell that story. So you got to have a dream and the dream is, is yours and yours alone. That's number one. Number two is to keep the dream alive. You got to keep that dream alive. When you are given that dream, yes, it's a good thing, but you have to nurture that. People are likely to kill it, not because they don't care about you, but because sometimes they care too much about you. My brother told me there's no possible way of me ever having a car uh, because he cared about me, about me. He didn't want my heart to be broken. My mother told me not to be too aggressive. Uh, when I was done with primary school, I got a job to teach in another, another, another school just to make a little bit of money. And she thought something bad was going to happen to me. So keep the dream alive. Um, I remember when I was 12 years old, I think 13 years old, I, um, I went to church and, and, and I saw the preacher. We had a guest preacher who came to our church and he spoke so well. And I pictured myself being on stage doing that. Now, I was only 13 years old in the village. I didn't know anything about public speaking. And from that day on, I would pretend as if I'm preaching. I'm on stage and I'm doing that. And then one day, my, my brother-in-law caught me uh, talking to myself loudly, of course, and I didn't know I was doing it. And he made fun of me. And he said, you sound like you are drunk. You sound like my dad. His dad used to drink a lot. Of course, that hurt my feelings, but that dream was kept alive. So fast forward today, uh, most of you know that I get a chance to speak um, on stages, not because I'm the best speaker, but because I'm lucky. I'm blessed. Uh, just 10 days ago, um, I was called by a company in Texas. And um, this coming month on the 17th, I'm going to speak at their company event. I'm not going to tell you how much they are paying, but it's good money. Why me? Okay, not because I'm the best, but because I'm the most blessed person. You got to keep that dream alive. Number three, you need to keep your eyes on the prize and your feet on the ground. Okay, keep your eyes on the prize and your feet on the ground. One thing I didn't tell you is that as soon as we moved to the village with my family, uh, people made fun of us. I was kind of a chubby kid. Of course, when you are living in the city and you have all the food, why not? Um, and people made fun of me. They said, you are fat, but you don't have money. They said, your dad left you. He doesn't love you. The neighbors, the teachers, my, my classmates, pretty much everyone made fun of us. But when I was given that dream that I need to get out of the village, I knew I had to, have to stay focused. I didn't have many friends. Because again, when you come from a poor family, nobody wants to hang out with you. But I knew that, that I wanted to accomplish something. When I met my teacher in sixth grade, Mr. Nathan, he told me I'm gonna teach you how to speak. Uh, I mean, how to, how to communicate and how to speak English. I saw uh, some kind of hope for myself. Keep your eye, eyes on the prize and your feet on the ground. I'll give you an analogy. Um, obviously I'm from Africa and we run. When I tell people that I like to run, they get all impressed and I tell them, you know, don't, don't be too impressed. We, we, I'm, I'm an African, I just wake up and run for no reason. Um, part of it is because we had to run to school. So it's something that, that I love doing. And I do sprints. I did sprint, you know, track and field in, in, in high school and college as well. And one thing I know, let's say you are going to do a hundred meter dash. Um, and, and for your information, the fastest man in the world, I mean, who, who holds the world record in that is uh, Usain Bolt from Jamaica. And he ran for 9.58 seconds, got paid a lot of money. So imagine that you are going to run a hundred meter dash and you only have a few seconds. There are several other people that you are competing with. So that, um, that sound goes off. They usually use a gun and then you start running. Are you going to be focused on the, on the people on the sidelines cheering on, you on or people are jeering you? Uh, or are you going to be focused on the finish line? I assume you're going to be focused on the finish line. That's why I'm saying you got to keep your eyes on the prize, which is the finish line and your feet on the ground. That means... As a, as a human being, as an entrepreneur, as a husband, as a father, as a mother, you have to stay grounded, humble enough to know that you have been given a gift, you have a dream, you have to nurture that dream, you have to stay very grounded. 
you have to develop yourself, but keep an eye on the prize. And that's what I've been able to do. Again, part of it is not because I knew what I was doing, but as soon as I learned about all these concepts, I've been able to stay very focused. Just yesterday, I, uh, you know, I met with a guy here in town, Kansas City, where I live. And uh, this is someone that I've known for a long time. And he said, I've, I've been meaning to talk to you. And he talked to me about a potential partnership to do, to do a project together. But I had to respectfully decline because he wanted this thing to start in January. I already have some plans that I'm, I'm working on for my business. I said, no, the reason is because I'm keeping an eye on the prize for the next 12 months. The thing that I'm focusing on, I cannot allow myself to be distracted. Now, keeping an eye on the prize, it doesn't mean that you're greedy. It doesn't mean it's just for you. I believe all of you, you either work for a company, you are running a department, you own your own business, or you run an organization. There are so many people that are depending on you for the impact that you're going to make, for the inspiration, for the empowerment, for the tools that you provide. Someone like Mikey provides musical instruments to kids who cannot afford. The, the difference that he's making through uh, Band of Angels, it's incredible. And it's, you can't even imagine uh, the ripple effect that's going to happen over the years. So he cannot afford to be distracted to do anything else especially during the season that he is either raising money or is he talking to these kids, you got to keep an eye on the price. That's going to be golden for you. Number four, you need to protect your dream. Really ruthlessly, you have to do that. Now, when I became an adult and um, I told people that I dream big and I like to help people, and especially when I decided to transition from engineering to get into entrepreneurship, I talked to several people, most of them from my church. Now, for those who go to church, you know, there's always an expectation that church people are supposed to be supportive. They're supposed to pray for you. They're supposed to really believe in you. But I was surprised that some of the people did not, uh, including my own pastor. Now, I don't blame him because, like I said in the beginning, that when you are given a dream, it's your dream. People may not understand it. So I got a small office at the church that I was going to. They, they have a big building and I was given a small office that I was pay, paying for only 200 bucks a month. And after about three months, he called me and he said, what is it that you do? And I said, you know, I'm, I'm launching a coaching and training business and I'm going to be helping people with this and this and this. And he said, but you're always in the office. I said, yes, I'm developing the programs. Um, so he, after about another two months, he called me and he said, you know, Isaac, you may want to get a part-time job at night because the, the thing you are doing, I don't see how you're going to make money. Uh, things spiraled down after that. I don't know what happened, but there was some politics and... Uh, after another a month or so, I was kicked out of that office. They said they don't want to mix business and church stuff. So I was kicked out. And the day that I was told that I need to move out of that office, of course, there was not, nothing like, like moving because it was just my laptop and a few books that were there. So it was easy for me just to pack up and go. So it was on a Thursday. And uh, the following day, I was going to, to go to Wichita for a speaking engagement. Don't be too impressed. It wasn't really like a big speaking engagement, only 25 people. I was going to be paid $150 and, um, and, and, and I was going to use my car and my gas. So basically I didn't make money on that gig. And I was driving to Wichita and about 15 minutes before I got to Wichita, I got a phone call from a guy called Bernard. This guy was also another friend from church. And he told me, hey, um, congratulations on your business. And I was talking to my wife and she said that She's attending one of your leadership classes and she loves it. But there's something I want to share with you. I said, okay, go ahead. He said, I was talking to a few friends of mine who were like five of us and, you know, your name came up. And one of the guys said, Isaac will never succeed in anything because he, had, he has tried so many businesses. So my first thought was, why would you tell me that? And then the other rebellious side was like, who are you to decide whether I'm going to succeed or not? It hurt my feelings. And I decided to play along and I asked him, so how long did you guys talk about me? And he said about 15 minutes. And somehow came, something came to me and I tend to believe it was a revelation. It wasn't very Christian, just so you know. And, and it, you know, an idea came to me and I said, I need to tell this guy the truth. And I said, Bernard, do you want to know what I think? He said, yes. I told him, I think you are one of the people. He said, what do you mean? I said, you are one of the people who don't believe I can succeed. And here's what I want us to do. I told him, I'm going to block you from my phone. I'm going to unfriend you from Facebook. And I don't want to talk to you for the next one year. I want to try this thing and see if it's going to work or not. And maybe it's just one of those 
business ideas that will never work. And if it doesn't, maybe I'll try something else. Now, again, that was not very Christian, but that's what I did. When I got to Wichita, I blocked this guy on my phone. I unfriended him on Facebook, and I felt I needed to protect that dream. Fast forward, two years later, this guy you know, comes to, to a church event, and we meet, and he had the audacity to, to ask me, hey, Isaac, are you still doing that thing? I mean, he couldn't get himself to say coaching, training, consulting. He called it a thing. And that's, that's the thing. People are going to give names to your dream. They're not going to acknowledge that. Now, not everyone, but some people, they're not going to acknowledge exactly what you're doing. And uh, again, even though it was in church, I said, yes, I'm still doing that thing. And I think I'm making more money than you. Now, I don't advise you to say that. Okay, That's very unchristian. Um, so here's the thing. I've been able to build a good business, a good sized business, and I'm still growing. It's been tough, but at the same time, it's very fulfilling, very fulfilling. When you realize that whatever you do, a job, a business, running a nonprofit, you, you are making an impact. You are there to make a difference in people's lives. You never stop whether people make fun of you or not. But the point is you need to protect that dream. And that's why I said what I said to, me, to, to Bernard. I told him, um, I don't wanna talk to you for a year or two. Now, I'm at a point whereby it doesn't matter what people say. I've developed those mental muscles and emotional muscles. It doesn't matter who says what. There's no way they are going to distract me. So that's the thing. You've got to protect your dream. So the last thing I'm going to share with you is this. And this has something to do with the significance that you bring to the marketplace, with the difference that you make in people's lives. You need to change the question that you ask. And most of you, I know your business survey, probably already doing it. But a lot of people ask, how much can I make? How can I really do this? Instead of asking, uh, how much can I make? You need to ask, how many people can I serve? So change the question from how much to how many. You need to ask, how many can I impact? Instead of how much is it going to cost me? And it's not really a cost. It's an investment. Yes, it's going to cost money and time, but it's all worth it. Just... Um, Yesterday, I met with one of the uh, salespeople in a company here in town, in downtown Kansas City that I work with, and I coach their sales, sales team. And this lady, we sat down, and she asked me, are your coaching sessions all the same? And I said, what do you mean? She said, because we started out just talking about business, but I feel like you've given me way more. And I feel like my life is rich and it's more full because of the coaching sessions that we are doing. And what I told her is something that I've been saying for the last few years that being called a coach and a trainer and a speaker is just a title. What we do is to make a difference in people's lives. We inspire them and we empower them to live a rich life. And I told her that's what makes me happy. So you got to ask uh, how, how much impact can I, can I make instead of how much is it going to cost me? The last question is, you need to ask how many can I help transform their lives instead of how much can I get back? The key thing is transformation. I talk, talked about the transitions that you go through. Myself being able to be born in the city, go to the village, then go through primary school, go to high school, all those transitions. And then I got a job as an engineer. Then I got into business. I almost lost that business. Then I got married and I have a family and now I'm growing a business. It's all about the transformation. And, and for transformation to happen, you have to allow that to happen. Okay. You really have to. Those who speak, and I believe Harry can speak to this. When you speak in public, uh, when, when you're doing a presentation, there's always the fancy presentation that you have prepared. You have your fancy slides and you have the, the, the nice clicker that you're using. And, and you get to a point whereby you go through the presentation and then something kicks in at some point. And sometimes you cannot predict when it kicks in and you put the slides down, you put the clicker down and you, you just speak from your heart. At that point, you have a choice to either shut it down because it's very unnatural or you allow it to, 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 to come through you. And that's where the transformation happens. I've experienced that so many times. Um, and the first time I experienced this was uh, about five years ago. I was doing a training in, um, in Tennessee. And it was a new program. I had a workbook and I taught this class. And towards the end, I, I gave evaluation forms to the attendees. And one of the ladies who... Uh, was sitting at the front and she was taking notes really seriously. She, she wrote on her evaluation and she said that the speaker was great, especially when he was not using the workbook. And that's when I realized that our voices are powerful. It's okay to have the content. It's okay to, to use logic, but it's, it's 
it's it's it's only until you speak from the heart that people get transformed so it's not about how much uh, you make, but how much transformation you bring to people. And for transformation to happen it ha to, to other people, it has to happen to you as well. For he it to happen through you, it has to, it has to happen to you first. So those are just the five steps for you uh, to cultivate and nurture your dream. Number one, you got to have the dream. Number two, keep the dream alive. Number three, keep your eyes on the prize and your feet on the ground. Number four is to protect that dream really really ruthlessly and all you have and then number five is to change the question that you are asking so that's uh that's what i have for you today and i'm going to open for q a i hope you got something out of this and uh, if you need to know more about my story i can write it down for you but it's a long story it's not that interesting uh my challenge to you is that look at your story look at the transitions look at the turning points and acknowledge those and celebrate those with the people that you love and the people that you care about Thank you so much. Isaac, that is awesome. And I love your energy. Your five points are great, but your energy is priceless. What you pour into this, it's just amazing. Yeah. Sometimes people think I drink too much coffee, but uh, that, that's not true. Yeah. It comes from someone. <laughs> Let's go to uh, Steve, who has a question. Isaac. Yes, Steve. Just great to see you again. Your uh, wisdom and inspiration is are off the charts. Just amazing. So um, answer the two questions here. Uh, what is your dream? And why did you choose engineering uh, to get you there? All right. So I'll start with the choosing engineering because it will give you some background there. Um, I chose engineering because I was given very limited options uh, in the country that I grew up in. Uh, things have changed a little bit, uh, but when I was growing up in Kenya, they, they told me that for, you, for me to be successful, I had to become a medical doctor, I had to become a, an engineer, I had to become a professor, or I had to become a business person. So I decided to become an engineer because I was good in math and sciences. And in high school, I had a teacher that I asked, what do you think I should do? And they said, you just become an engineer. Um, but it wasn't until I moved to the US and I figured that there are so many other options, but I had to go back and, and, and kind of build some kind of self-awareness to ask myself who I am. And it went back again to sixth grade, the first time that I met this teacher and asked myself, what are some of the things that made me happy? What are some of the things that I did so well, kind of in a natural way? And I realized that when I learned how to communicate, I could tell stories very well. I could really help other kids. You know, the part I didn't tell you is that because we didn't have enough food, I had to get other kids to bring food from their homes and then I helped them to do their homework. So that's how I did my, my side gigs, you know, early on. The second question about my dream, uh, it, it has evolved over time. Uh, initially, I just, my dream was to help my family and help myself. Uh, Mike, Maya, and I, we've talked about this. Um, I got married three years ago. I'm 42 years old, so I started very late. It was by design. I wanted to set my family up so that they will be okay and they'll be good to go. And the good news is right now, uh, my mother is happy. She has all the money she needs and my brothers are, are set. But my dream has changed over time. Right now, because I'm in business, I've been able to build a very good, uh, successful coaching and training practice my dream right now is to inspire and empower people, inspiring them to show them what's possible for them. And because the more you talk to people, you realize people have dreams, but they don't feel like they're good enough. They're smart enough. They are, they are fast enough. And I tell them, if Isaac can try to do it and succeed to a certain level, you can do it. And then empowering them is providing the tools that they need to be able to get there. We cannot just use inspiration and motivation. We've got to give them the tools. So my dream uh, at this point is just to continue, continue empowering people. And I want to appear in their stories so that who knows, 50 years from today, they'll say that I met this, this little short black guy and he inspired me. And I feel like I'm doing something with my life. Harry, did you hear that? Get real inspiration. I did. I did. You know, you were, I was about to ask that question and you hit a lot on a lot of it right there because I was thinking there's no way 
in a village in Kenya, you could envision life in Overland Park. And so that the dream couldn't have been finite. The dream has to be more directional on concepts, doesn't it? You know, these are the things I want to accomplish more than this is the place I want to get to. Because if it's finite and you get there, what comes next, right? Yes, that's true. And um, again, looking back now that you guys, and by you guys, I mean here in America, it's, it's been a big blessing for me to move here. Um, I've learned so many things since I moved to the U.S. One of the things I've learned is that in life, we, we either run away from pain or uh, go, go after pleasure or, or some kind of, of uh, fulfillment. So I was running away from pain. I just wanted to get out of the village. But now I've learned to look at the things that are going not just to help me, but help other people. Um, so so, so you're, you're, you're right. I couldn't imagine being here in Overland Park. Uh, but also the other part was, of it was that I didn't know where I was going. So I just landed in Warrensburg, Missouri. And people are like, did you even check the, the map and to see where that place is? I said, I don't know. I just knew that I wanted to run away from Kenya. And I thought the U.S. is the U.S. Uh, what we saw in the media was like, I thought the U.S. is... It's like New York everywhere and everybody has money. So it was a shock for me when I got here, but it's been a great learning some lessons. I love Kansas City. This is a great place. Um, so just again, like you said, Randy, plans of transitions and God has been guiding me being able to land here and building an incredible network. I mean, uh, sometimes I pinch myself because here in Kansas City, most of the circles, if you mention my name, they will say, yes, we know that guy. Again, not because I'm the most I'm the smartest person, but because I'm just blessed to have that incredible network here in town. So thank you so much for being in my network. So Warrensburg was not like New York City. Nope. And, and you, you told me you looked out the next morning and was in shock. Uh, yeah, yeah. I got to the airport around 8 p.m. and I was picked up by someone from college and I was tired. It has been like 15 hour flight. Uh, winter time, it was January, got to Warrensburg, went to bed, woke up in the morning. I looked through, through the window and I saw cows and, and, and farms. And I looked at my roommate, I said, okay, so where are we at? He said, this is Warrensburg, is it in the US? He said, yes. And I was like, okay, so you guys have cows and farms? He said, of course, where do you, get, do you think we get our meat from? So it was kind of like a shock for me. And I almost went back because before I came here, I was living in Nairobi, which is the capital city of Kenya. And I had run from the village to Nairobi, and now I felt like I just went back to the village. But when I came to get this side of Kansas City, I realized it's not as bad as I thought, and I'm glad that I stayed. You know, there were a couple of people who probably had a dramatic impact and never would have known what that impact would be years later. But when you think about that teacher that took time to teach you English or the principal that took time to bring you in and share lunch. There's a ripple effect of that, that you still feel years later and they couldn't know it at the time. So how important is that for you in protecting this dream? You talk about blocking out the people who aren't believers, but how important is it to find people who are believers and will help you? Actually, I think that's the most important thing because again, with time I've learned that we spent so much time trying to play um, to play to play defense um, try to to talk about the things we don't want and the people we don't want to be around instead of going after the people that we want to be to be around just a few months ago my mentor uh, challenged me to find people in my city to have lunch with at least one person every single month and I ask them a bunch of questions um, it's very important to surround yourself with these people intentionally. Because when we all need some kind of external um, help, we, we really do. Um, so when you surround yourself with these people, let's say you have 10 people who pray for you, they support you, they're they encouraging you, and you have that as a support system. And then just one crazy person shows up your way and they try to tell you that you are not good enough. It's not going to affect you that much. It's very, very important to surround yourself with those people. Now, if somehow you don't have a big network, read books. Okay, Harry has has books that he has written. And I've, I've had a chance to listen to Harry in a, you know, doing speaking engagements. He's an easy guy to talk to. If you want to grab beer with him, I think he will. Harry and I, we've met, you know, uh, for, for, for one, a one-on-one -on -one in the past. So find those people. And if you cannot find them, read their books, listen to their podcast, 
Okay, we have so many resources. There's no excuse why someone should sit in their basement and feel sorry for themselves. You have to step out there and find the resources. So there's a question here um, from Mike. Uh, can you talk about your follow-up and relationship building that you do? Um, okay, I'm not sure if I understand what that, uh, Mike, can you expound on that? Well, it's a loaded question. Okay. <laughs> because if you see it, you see what's setting in the background of my screen. Yeah. Um, and, and that was something that you came and presented to me. <laughs> so you don't have to tell the whole story about what that is or why you did that. But I thought that it was really impressive that you surprised me and came and told me what you thought of me. Um, and, yes. and I don't think a lot of people do that while people are still alive to hear it. Yes, um, I'll do that very briefly. So uh, what you see there behind Mike and probably Mike, you can hold it. They'll be able to see it. That's an African cane. Now, even though I was running away from the village, there's something that I've not run away from, and that's my culture. There are several things that my mother taught me and my, you know, the elders in, you know, in, in the village, and one of them is to respect elders. Anyone who is older than me needs to be respected, respected as an elder, whether, whether it's a man or woman. So that African cane is, is a cane for the chief. So the tribes are led by the chiefs. I come from one of the tribes, and when the chief has that, that cane, uh, they make when they're about to make major decisions, they use that cane. They kind of you know lift the cane and everybody everybody goes quiet. And when, when the decision is made, they kind of put it down. So with Mike, when I got introduced to Mike uh, by Scott Havens, I got to talk to Mike and I saw what he is doing with the kids. And it got me almost to tears. Of course, I didn't cry because I'm an African man. We don't cry, which is bad. But when he told me his story, I saw someone who's believing in kids who seemingly don't have hope, giving them those musical instruments. And to me, Mike is a leader. To me, him, and he is like a chief. He has a tribe of people, and I'm one of the people in the tribe. That's why I decided to give him that cane. So I, I called my mother and I said, uh, I have a friend of mine that I, I, want, I want to give a cane. And my mother you know, got that cane. It was shipped here, and I presented that to Mike. So Mike, yes, you are still the chief of my tribe. Well, just like most things that you do, the, the story transitioned to me rather than you, but the, I think the big lesson was, I was so impressed that you would have taken the time to do that because, you know, I was just doing what I was doing, but you, you took the time to go out and back and build that relationship and tell somebody what you thought of them. Oftentimes we don't, we just do what we do and, I know all the people I'm most on this phone call and, and whether it's Michelle or Grant or Harry or anybody they're they're super amazing people yeah, and um, building that relationship and taking the time to go and tell them how you feel about them builds a whole nother level of, of them continuing on to do great things. So I thought your relationship building that you do, I know you do more than what you said was really impressive. Yeah, thank you. I try to do that every day. Appreciate you, Mike. Okay. Um, any other question? Okay. You know, in that, um, mm -hmm. in that in that early time when people were making fun of you and discouraging you, what helped you find the resilience and the grit and the perseverance to not let them create doubt. You know, how, how did you create those, that early resilience that no matter what people are telling me, I'm going to be okay. You know, I don't think there was a formula. Sometimes you, you do things because you have to. Um, when, when you're growing up, especially as a boy, you, you always wish your dad is around to teach you, at how to be a man, how to ride a bike. And when I looked around, my dad was not there. And we were going for days without food. And I, did, I couldn't afford decent clothes and all the other kids were okay. Um, got bullied quite a bit by both teachers and, and, and other kids. So first off, I got into fights. I learned how to fight. There's a guy who taught me how to fight and I would just go after the tall guys and punch them just because I could. And I got in trouble quite a bit. So there was a little bit of rebellious uh, attitude that I developed 
but also very quickly I figured nobody's going to sell close to uh, to save me, so I gotta save myself. And that's also one of the mentors that I use today. I said, nobody's coming to save you. You gotta save yourself. Um, but, but some of the things that helped me is being a part of a church. I had a very loving pastor. And then one of my friend's dad was a teacher. Um, and, 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 and that's a guy I, I actually became a friend with. And my friends, they used to, to tell me that, you know, to ask me, why, why are you friends with an old man? And, and, you know, that helped me because he, he made me feel safe. I didn't have a dad growing up, so I, I saw that father figure in him. So people speaking positivity into my life, that really helped me. But, um, you know, with, and this is something that I speak on as actually looking at my mom and, and with her struggling to feed us seven kids by herself, working in people's farms, really the manual jobs that women are not supposed to do. Um, that made me feel like I needed to step up and do something. So even though I'm the fifth in my family, have two older brothers and two older sisters, I assumed that I'm the only kid that she has. And I said, I'm going to stand up for her. So being able to mature at a very early age, I just had to do that because I didn't have a choice. And that has been very helpful for me. Today, my wife will tell you, um, I'm a little ruthless when it comes, to, it comes to standing up for my dreams and defending other people, especially those that cannot defend themselves. And I do it with a smile. So again, Randy, there was no formula. I just fell into it. Um, but it's something that I don't, uh, I don't regret. Really, I stand up for women. Uh, there's a group here in Kansas City called Single Mom KC, and we are in talks uh, with them for me to be doing some training programs and all the money goes towards helping them to find their programs. So again, it's paying attention to the things that are happening in your life. Now, when people hear my story, some people go like, oh my God, we are so sorry. Don't be sorry for me. Actually, I'm glad that my dad left. If he had not left, I have a feeling that I would not have become the kind of a man that I am today. I would not have been able to meet you guys because, hey, my dad had all the money, so there would not have been any reason for, for me to move to the US. So I'm glad all those things happened. And I think the point is, let's pay attention to the transitions and acknowledge the process. You wanna go back to this thing we were talking a little earlier around um your surroundings and the positive and negative influences and how those support your mindset. When you're coaching people today, how important is it for them to manage social media? Because that's where a lot of our inputs are coming, both positive and negative. How do you counsel people on managing their surroundings in an online world? Yeah, when you look at the online world, um, yes, it's, it's, a, it's a huge a huge machine out there. Sometimes you can get overwhelmed, even for us that we think we are strong. But when you think about it, it's, it's a stimuli like anything else, that it's an external stimuli. It's like someone walking up to you, Randy, and say, Randy, I don't like you. And the first kind of reflex ref re response that you are likely to give is like, why don't you like me? Either feel sorry for yourself or you just punch them in the face, okay? So those are two extreme ones. But um, what I teach them is, is to manage their internal world and the external world will be easily managed. Uh, just yesterday, again, I was coaching someone and they're struggling with, again, social media and what's happening. Should I post two times a day or three times a day or should I hire this person? And I said, if you wake up in the morning and you have a very good self-talk, you, you, you acknowledge the things that you're good at and what you're focusing on and ask yourself this question, what's the most important thing that I should do today to move myself forward? Everything else is going to be subsidiary. So I, I teach them to manage the internal world on a daily basis, because if you don't, I mean, if you step outside without a plan and, and you open the social media, LinkedIn and, and, and Facebook and Instagram, you are likely to be fed with so many things that you start feeling the tension building up. So it's all about managing the internal world. And at some point, if you feel you are getting overwhelmed, step away from it. It's not the end of it. If you have a little bit of money, hire someone to manage that for you. There are people who do that as a, as a profession. That's not my thing. So I can hire them to do that. And I'll, I, need, I just need to get in there, get some inspiration from Harry, or get to see what Grant uh, Gooding is, uh, is, is posting out there about you know, the cool stuff that he's doing. So when I get in there, I, I always have like 10, 15 minutes. And after that, I'm out because I know I can easily get sucked into whatever that's happening in there. So it's very broad, but I think if you manage the internal world, you should be okay. You know, you had a couple of people that believed in you 
a principal, a teacher, and they fanned the flames of your dream. Now you're here coaching and teaching. Have you seen success stories of folks who were downtrodden, discouraged, and you've coached them and you've seen them find that same kind of resilience and, and have a big change in their trajectory of their life? Yes. Yes. Um, I, I have a lot of stories. Some of them are more phenomenal than others. And especially, you know, talking about the U.S., we have so many resources, guys. It doesn't matter how much we complain. There are so many resources. You can start a business and succeed. Sometimes it takes a while. But most of the people that have gone through great transformation is those, those that have had an already successful business. And when they're about to scale, they get scared because they don't think they are good enough or they have enough experience. So believing in themselves. So my coaching really has, has, has evolved over time. There's the technical side whereby we help with the systems and the processes, but there's also the mindset part that I help them with that. And it's, it's just helping them to see how good they are. Sometimes we have to list those things down. So I've seen that transition, but also from my home country where, where I'm from, uh, again, with social media, they get to see what I'm doing. I've been getting a lot of calls from, uh, from, from Kenya. People really want to know my story. And uh, I'll be going to Kenya this coming November, um, mid-November, and I'll be back the second week of January. And I have several things you know, lined up. One of them is a lady that we were, we, we went to the same school, primary school, and she's a school principal. And she said, I want you to come and speak to the kids at my school. I want them to hear your story because we went to school together. I just want them to hear from someone else. Um, and, and there's someone else who has a business in Kenya. So people are starting to see this story because again, uh, when you're growing up, you, you are kind of, you're, you're coming from a poor, you come from a poor family, you are short. Uh, people don't think anything is going to come out of it. Um, yes. So, so when people see what you are doing and they go like, you know, someone asked me the other day, you know, do those white people listen to you? And I said, I don't know. You tell me. <laughs> Um, and, and by the way, guys, I can talk about this and I'm comfortable talking about this. And I said, um, it's only that you've not been educated enough. It's not about being black or white or Hispanic or whatever that it is. It's about the dreams that people have. And one thing I'll tell you guys, and, and some of you have heard this story, when the people discouraged me from my dream were from my church, 80% of the church members are from Kenya. So these are my people. Okay. So, um, and, and they, they told me this is not going to work. And actually, there's one particular guy who told me um, coaching and training and speaking is only for white people. Now, allow me to say that because it's, it's going to give you some perspective. And uh, now when I talk to them and I say, you know, um, the, the, you told me it's for the people from the other side, but it's those people. OK, the people you call white people here in Kansas City, those are those are the people who gave me an opportunity. They believed in me when they didn't know who I am. You guys have known me for years, but you did not believe in me. Now, I don't say that to make them feel bad, but I give them perspective in the world, and especially in the U.S., uh, people pay you based on the value that you're bringing to the marketplace, not because of the color of your skin or how short or tall or educated you are. If you're bringing value, then they are going to pay you. So, yes, Randy, I'm getting a lot of uh, buzz from down there, and I'm excited about my visit to Kenya. Um, again, talking about going to school, I went to school without shoes for nine years, and I didn't wear closed shoes until I went to, to high school. And now we are going to give back there. Um, uh, I'm starting a project called uh, the Shoe Project. We are still working on the name. So from next year, I'll be providing shoes to all the kids in the school that I went to. So I'm going to lay that ground. And um, uh, there's someone who, a friend of mine, is talking to Walmart and see if they can provide some of the shoes and we'll be able to ship there. So again, it's not about giving back, but it's helping those kids to know that someone came from this village and he was able to go to the U.S. and he met incredible people. He has a good network of friends. So, and I want them to say, if Isaac did it, I can do it. And I think that's the most powerful thing that can happen to them. Grant, besides declaring that we're now going to call Mike Chief has a question. <laughs> okay. Um, he said, it would seem that you would be in a great position to help businesses here to do business in Kenya and vice versa. Have you ever tried to be a business catalyst between these two geogra ge geographies and cultures? Yes, I've thought about that. Um, and, um, you know, I haven't been in Kenya for four plus years. And actually the times that I've gone to visit, it wasn't even a business trip. 
But again, like I said, my, my business and my mindset has evolved over time. So as I go there, um, I'm going to talk to a few people. There's a small business, they call it small business enterprise um, organization based in Nairobi. I'll be talking to them. I had um, a Zoom call with them about three weeks ago. I've been one of the leaders there and I want to see if I can be taking some people there to help with that. But uh, Grant, you just gave me a different perspective and I think I'll follow up with you so we can discuss about that. Um, I mean, I wouldn't mind to, to go down there and explore whichever business opportunities that can, can, can be are possible for companies here in the US and vice versa. So I'm open to that. And uh, I believe I'm, I'm blessed enough to be able to, uh, to speak. And the good thing is that I can speak Swahili and English in my tribal language. So if you don't understand what they're saying, I'm going to translate for you. So uh, Grant, I'll follow up with you. Okay, there's another question here. Uh, okay, that's just a comment. Um, okay, yeah, anything a lot else? Of, a lot of positive comments there, Isaac. And uh, no matter what people told you, I think everybody's listening because you have you are creating value in people's lives, and you just have this energy and this passion, and a great example of of how to how to chase a dream. And so I'm certain people are listening. <laughs> Yeah, thank you. Appreciate that. And uh, for all of you here, you know, I have a habit of getting attached when I meet people. I like to know their stories. If possible, I'd like to connect with all of you and see how I can possibly add value to you in a small way. Doesn't matter what it is. Um, you know, if Harry is here, probably I can carry your bags. He's a big shot. Um, yeah, really, I would like to stay connected. And Randy, uh, I appreciate for the invite to come and meet these incredible people. Yeah, I'll make sure that all of you have each other's uh, LinkedIn connection information, and then you can uh, follow up from there and uh, hopefully have chances to to meet. We've got lunch coming up again soon, so uh, that would be awesome, Isaac. Fantastic. Well, thanks for your uh, story and your journey and your lessons. It was it was awesome to to have you spend time with us, Isaac. Yeah, thank you guys. Have a great day. All right, everyone, have a great weekend. Bye.